The main goal of life sciences companies is of course to bring new therapies and treatments to patients as fast as possible. There are, however, a number of strategic choices you can make in order to achieve this goal. We're joined today by two fabulous CEOs who will tell us all about the decisions they have made in building their life sciences company. One of them is Tim Knotnerus, who is the CEO of Aromap. Tim trained as a scientist, started his career in venture capital. His company Aromap raised more than 140 million USD over the last years, and that includes European investors, US investors, and strategic investors like Pfizer. Aromap already acquired another company and, and Tim's efforts did not go unnoticed. He was with Aromap selected as a first 15 company and he was winner of the European CEO of the Year Award last year. Right now, Aromap is in the exciting phase of moving their lead compounds into phase two clinical trials. And the other one is Claudine van der Sande. She is the CEO and founder of Zinvento. She's a biomedical scientist by training and has a three and a half year old son who suffers from a rare disease called congenital hyperinsulinism. She's founded her company less than two years ago, but last month the company was acquired by Rhythm Pharmaceuticals. This is quite an amazing achievement as the company is still in the preclinical development phase. Both Tim and Claudine are also Termeer Fellows. How did they make a decision as to what is the next best step in their growth trajectory and how did they involve stakeholders? Is there a difference in the Dutch versus the Belgian landscape in this respect? And what advice did they have for other starting companies? Welcome to our Ellen and Overy podcast. My name is Tine Karmeliet. I am a regulatory and IP life sciences senior associate. And my name is Juno Houtkiet. I'm a senior associate in the Brussels office of Ellen and Overy. So Tim, thank you for being here. I recall that when we discussed this podcast, you mentioned you'd be keen to participate, but on one condition, and this condition is sitting next to you. Yeah, that's correct. That's of course Claudine. I think the reason for asking Claudine to join me and you on the show today is actually, first of all, because Claudine is of course an amazing woman, and I think she's got a very inspirational story to be told and to be heard. Uh, secondly, I think more generally, we should all... Um, provide a stage to the few female leaders that we have in our industry. And I think uh, third, last, but I think by no means least, being a Dutchman myself and working in a Belgium company, I also hope to be able to help uh, more collaboration between the two regions uh, to actually uh, take advantage of the skills of the combined talent pools and, 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 and some of the subsidies and, and, and financings that we have in both the sides of the, of the boundary. So increasing female leadership, sharing Truly inspirational stories and, and increasing collaboration uh, is actually very high up on my personal wish list. Great. And, and when you say inspirational story, uh, Claudine, turning to you, I'm sure our audience will be extremely curious to hear uh, what that story is. Can you tell us a bit more about that? I found it's Invento uh, because of my son. Uh, he has a rare disease, congenital hyperinsulinism. And that means that uh, he makes too much insulin. So you can say, well, easily, it's, it's uh, the opposite of diabetes. So you have low blood sugar levels all the time, uh, which causes uh, direct damage to the brain, or you can even die if you don't intervene. Well, with my biomedical background, I, I thought, okay, I want to do something about it because... Yes, it's not, uh, you cannot have a normal life uh, with that disease. And it's always difficult to think of the future because, yeah, you're not sure how your future will look like uh, with this disease. So I felt the urge, okay, uh, it's my mission. I thought of 
different possibilities, uh, which was possible. So I was quite lucky that I could dive into literature and look into all the current approaches, treatments, and uh, what possibilities could be in future for this disease. So uh, yes, I, I have approached other people experience in the biotech and we were talking about right the, the Dutch and the Belgian collaboration and I think within this inventor team we also worked on that because one of my co-founders is Piet Wieverink mm-hmm. and he uh, well, he's, uh, he lives in the Belgium so uh, I think it's a really good way of working because I learned a lot from him also from the Belgium side but we will talk about it later of course <laughs> no absolutely we're, we're sitting here two Belgian lawyers but in the Amsterdam office so we're uh, yes I think it's it's also fair to say uh, Claudine you didn't approach the least people eh? I mean no, it true. was <laughs> Piet Wiegerink is really a superstar previous yeah. CSO of Galapagos uh, you work with John Merrick Kinori founding CEO of a 25 billion call, a dollar company called Anilum we think of Valerio many other superstars in the, in the Dutch ecosystem as well you really brought the right network around you when you when you started uh, your your journey yes yes exactly and that that's what also helped me from begin to end literally because that's how i got uh, introduced to ellen lovery the dutch office Berend Vinsa, i have to call him here <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, i'm very grateful for that and um also so from the beginning i was introduced and somebody else said okay i will give you an advice uh, every time you meet a new person, ask if this person can introduce you to two new persons. So that's how I got a lot of oh. conversations and it was really inspiring and I learned a lot from them. So from the beginning, I've involved all these advisors so they know all the steps in my journey. Uh, and that's how also uh, Piet Wiegerink and Sarah Vitebour uh, were involved as uh, co-founders. So it's, I, I love the tip, uh, ask every person to introduce you yes. to two more people. That uh, sounds like good advice. Yeah. It's, it's also a very, very inspirational story, I have to say. Uh, I think we are all at some point consumers of healthcare. Um, and it's, it's, it's really great to, to hear how you have uh, taken on this, this challenge and also turned it into a very positive Positive thing. I, I wonder how th- does it impact the way that you look at your company in terms of what you want to ach- achieve um, for for Zinvento? Yes, definitely. So I have always in mind that we're going to succeed, and I think everybody uh, has that, of course, when you have a company. But I never think of failure. So I so my mission is really to have uh, this treatment developed. There is no other option. Uh, I will always stick to that mission. Uh, and I think because it's it's different, of course, right? Uh, uh, it's personally. So I think that also attracts people to really uh, help me, advise me and want to be part of this journey. Very inspirational, Claudine, to, to already hear your side of this. Um, Tim, I, I guess you have maybe some aspects that unite uh, you with Claudine and then some, some aspects that are different in, in, in your journey in the life sciences industry? What unites us, uh, obviously, I think, and that holds true for all people in the drug development world, is, of course, that we would like to develop uh, treatments for patients that currently do not have a treatment uh, option on the, on the market. Obviously, her personal story is very different than mine. I think in our case, we would love to develop uh, therapeutics for uh, fibrotic uh, patients, so patients with fibrosis, mm-hmm. uh, either in the lung or in the liver or in the gastrointestinal tract. 
Uh, and around that, I also have a personal mission to really build a successful company in Europe to actually uh, uh, succeed in that, in, that, in that mission to bring uh, a product to the market in many years from now. I'm curious because I don't know, when did you thought of, okay, I want to build the company and make it, right, one of the most promising things in Europe? Because you started... Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and, and the answer is I don't know. I don't have too many other entrepreneurs in my family either. Um, but I feel that there's simply far too few uh, scale-up companies, both in the Netherlands as well as in Europe, uh, at least in the life science sector. And I think we need these type of companies to really create the next pool of talent for the generation of companies uh, next to us. Uh, so it's important for an ecosystem. Uh, I think it's also important to uh, to increase the chances of successfully developing a, a medicine. Uh, I think by definition, the the aim of a founding um, entrepreneur is always to actually potentially do the full development yourself. And of course, you can't be sold, but that should be the, the outcome of a successful development. So you shouldn't necessarily steer towards an immediate exit. You should really aim high and and best way in doing so for me is actually building a successful company around the drug development uh, journey. And that, and that might be different for you, I, I presume, Claudine, in terms of the timeline and, and what you want to achieve? Yeah, so uh, of course I've looked at the pros and cons and asked my advisors uh, what they would do and I asked, okay, we need to focus on the personal mission, right? So what is the fastest track to get this treatment to the patient, they weren't uh, aware, of course, of the acquiring company because that was all uh, confidential. But they said, okay, they have all the right structures in place. Uh, they have the team uh, because I could tell them that this company already brought a market from begin to the end uh, to the patient. So mm. they said, then this is the best option. You should choose this way. Uh, so for me, there was a confirmation. Okay, I really need to... Uh, mm -hmm. I think what's interesting is that when, when asking both of you, you're, you're both replying you wanted to get the, the medicines or the treatments to the patients as soon as possible, but then the way you got there is, is if I can say, completely different. Uh, yes. And, and well, I think the strength is of the company of uh, Tim is that, of course, he can work now on multiple diseases at the uh, same time. For me, I'm focused on hyperinsulinism. That's also part of different diseases, of course. But my primary focus was on the congenital hyperinsulinism part. I think it's also good to, to appreciate the fact where we come from. Um, I think if I were be in uh, Claudine's shoes, I would have opted for the exact same route as she has done. I would have teamed up with a larger company to move uh, the compound for my son in that case as fast and as effectively as possible. Uh, I come from a very different background, obviously. And so I don't have a personal story connected to that. So I prefer to actually develop the company as far as I can possibly can and then find the appropriate partner uh, mm -hmm. to actually take the last stage of the development. So I fully appreciate and understand why she's actually taking that route. And I don't think that there's a good or a bad strategy here. Mm -hmm. I think it just it matters where you come from and where you want to go to. And then mm -hmm. you find the best way to get there. And, and uh, for sure, there's no linear way. Um, there's always challenges along the way. And mm -hmm. in her case, I fully appreciate the fact that she wants to team up early. Mm -hmm. Is that something that came gradually, uh, sort of the exit route, whether that be a sale through an M&A sale, uh, an IPO? Uh, is that something that developed gradually, which route you were going for, Claudine? Or did you know from the very start 
that you're headed towards a sale to a bigger uh, industrial company? For me, it suddenly occurred. Mm -hmm. So I was really, uh, I'm a team, I'd say, we were working on a financing round. Okay. So we were talking with venture capitalists. And I always had uh, catch-ups with uh, my advisors, so they knew exactly where we were in the process. Uh, and when I was talking to one of my advisors, he said, okay, uh, this is, might be interesting also for our company. So then suddenly it occurred, oh, maybe we could be acquired. Mm -hmm. uh, so no, I didn't think of it. I was just, I had the only thought, okay, I want to bring the drug uh, to the patient. And uh, I think uh, the normal route in the phase where we are is uh, raising uh, a round. So a capital uh, round. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was the case. And, and so for you, Tim, uh, is that sort of similar that you are thinking that you're working towards an, an M&A transaction or an IPO in the long run? Or is that uh, something you still keep open or not at all? Yeah, for me, it's all about creating optionality, basically. So you want to generate different options on the table, whether that's a licensing or a product-specific mm -hmm. deal or whether that's a total company sale uh, or uh, fundraising opportunities. I think it's about creating optionality. And mm -hmm. if you go through the different optionalities, like an IPO, uh, an initial public offering, uh, for me, that's not necessarily an exit because it's, mm -hmm. a, it's yet, yet another financing round. Obviously, the good thing there is, of course, it provides the Uh, future access to larger capital rounds, should you wish so. The downside, of course, is the public exposure. Whenever yeah. something materially happens on the R&D side, you need to press release it. You need to bring your company up to speed on the compliance and on the financial side. So there's a lot of additional efforts uh, required there as well. Um, so you can only do that when you're really ready for that. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of M&A, that's like typically the preferred option for your shareholders because it's really cash in hand. So yeah. that is an exit. I think the downside there is, of course, that you decide to sell your company. So mm -hmm. there's no further future growth of the company that may actually get you to a larger, a higher valuation or closer to the market. So there's, mm -hmm. there's ups and downs on, on each of these scenarios. For me, it's all about creating optionality, uh, making sure that you have options to choose from together mm -hmm. with your board. Yeah. And how do you ensure the alignment of your board and also other stakeholders uh, uh, with, with the strategy you choose? Uh, open and frequent communication, I think that's one. And uh, that's obviously something you may not fully appreciate if you start. Uh, if I remember my first board meetings, I tried to keep them, keep them at, at, the different, at the distance, uh, try to manage them, uh, whereas actually it, it's typically much better if you involve them in the decision-making, if you make them aware of your day-to-day -day challenges, mm -hmm. but still uh, stay in control. So you give them the different scenarios, but you also provide the proposal, actually. Uh, I think that's important, but open and frequent communication. Secondly, it's also very important, in my opinion at least, that after each material transaction, you realign on strategy. For instance, when we closed the B round and we brought on board larger U.S. investors, we immediately set up a board meeting and we discussed strategy going forward. And then one mm -hmm. of the things that I actually proposed is to actually three different pillars of how we can create value in the short and in the, in the, in the future. And one of these pillars was actually an expansion of the pipeline. And with that, we accelerate value generation. And as part of that pipeline expansion, we actually offered to look at other companies for a potential license deal or an acquisition. So it was really important to bring the new board aligned on strategy. And when we found alignment there, I think the next step was the actual 
uh, acquisition, which happened a couple of months thereafter. But it was first the alignment with the new board and the new group of shareholders. Once that was aligned, I think we could actually execute on that new strategy. Yeah, uh, I'm interested in that because I always got the question... What do you see in the future, right? Uh, are you going for a M&A deal or IPO? But as you mentioned, you have the different options open. So everybody was okay with that? I think everyone, every shareholder is typically okay with creating optionality because they also don't want to just have one option on the table. Because typically, if you have only one option, you don't have leverage to negotiate no. a really good deal. Mm-hmm. No plan B. Neither do you know what else could, could potentially happen to the company. So having both, for instance, a fundraising opportunity, like in your case, you're yes. also in fundraising discussion, and I know you've been in very advanced stages, so you somehow also created optionality. Uh, I think that's what we also do. So you, you have... Um, a fundraising optionality, like you mm-hmm. raise significantly new capital with that, the consequence for existing shareholders is that they will dilute. But of course, the cake will be much, much bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also do a product-specific license. I think there's immediate income. Um, you can then focus more towards your lead compounds, for instance. Uh, obviously, yourself, the company is typically very attractive as well to shareholders. But you run the risk of selling too early for for uh, for a price that is that is um, typically too low Lower, because yeah. of the early and risky stage. So mm-hmm. having different options on the table not just provides you with your, uh, the, the leverage to negotiate, but also creates mm-hmm. uh, deci- decision making within the board. What does that mean in terms of preparation, or, or what what steps do you take in terms of making sure that you keep that optionality? I think it's important to always um, plan and build the company well ahead of ahead of time. Uh, that means you bring on board the type of investors early on. So, for instance, when uh, we close the A round a few months later, you may have seen in the news that we actually extended that round, and I, we brought on board a large European investor because Andera Partners, because I knew I'm going to need them for the future financing mm-hmm. round. So, you bring on board the type of investors that you don't need at that moment in time, but actually at the next financing round. And we did the same with the B round when we brought on board the large U.S. crossover funds because I know I'm going to need them potentially when when we're going to IPO in in the future, if if that's the path we choose to take, of course. So you bring on board the investors, not for now, but actually for the future, and the same with the team. We had a similar discussion in the same board meeting, by the way, uh, after the B-round closing. And we proposed to actually bring on board um, um, a number of very experienced um, senior professionals, like a chief business officer, general counsel, a chief financial officer, chief uh, mm-hmm. medical officer. Typically, you do that at a later stage. But when we actually aligned with the board that we're actually going to reverse that, we bring on board the senior people in the organization early, we were also positioned to actually transact on that on that acquisition. And we were able to actually translate the preclinical uh, findings into a better designed clinical development path by having the right people on board earlier already. So I think planning ahead of time, typically a couple of years, uh, is is a good strategy to create optionality. That makes absolute sense. And I I hear you talk about strengthening your management team, uh, which which I guess regardless of what type of growth or exit opportunity you're looking at is, is uh, always a good idea. Um, let, let's say you're sort of, uh, Claudine, that's maybe more, slightly more your circumstances. Once you've decided you're going perhaps towards an exit uh, strategy, are there any other preparations you, you had to take, tips or tricks you learned uh, throughout that process? Would you do something differently? Well, if I look uh, more in the practical, uh, I think more detailed side, 
Uh, a data room is really important. I know the public, right? So I am. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to uh, lawyers. Yeah. Today, yeah. <laughs> um, so a data room is uh, really important. And uh, what I learned, it's good to have that well prepared and not during uh, the process itself, right? Uh, and uh, also be uh, well prepared on uh, possible questions so that you can provide consistent answers uh, to the different parties. And uh, so you're talking now uh, specifically for the exit, but I also had, of course, a plan B uh, because... Which was the financing. Yes, yeah. it's always possible that uh, suddenly uh, something doesn't work out. Uh, can be anything. So, yes, I think uh, that's a really important one, yeah. And I would assume that in addition to having uh, the, the right people next to you and having the open communication lines, protecting your, your key assets is, is probably also key from in the beginning? Sure. Uh, <laughs> I think I can fully concur to that. Um, uh, I think, yeah, next to the, the topics that uh, Claudine rightfully brought forward, I think it's very important to always make sure that, that you completely own your, your intellectual property. So even in early company stages, when you have all kinds of research collaborations where you may not have the cash, but never, uh, never actually let go on the IP. Also, don't give away royalty rights. It's very easy as an early stage company uh, to actually give away royalty rights to your uh, collaboration partners, but that will hurt you badly uh, and, and once you, you when, once you come into an M&A or IPO track, because that is the upside value that both the investors as well as the pharma companies uh, see. So that will hurt you. Similar, uh, similar things hold true for, in my opinion, if you have the opportunity not to license your lead compound, that's a good thing. Uh, you can license compounds, but you should protect your, your, your main value driver, which typically is the most, uh, most advanced uh, compound. Um, so there's a couple of things that, that I think you should be wary of early in the development. Um, another topic would be your shareholder based, of course. Um, typically, if you're early stage, you, you bring on, Family fools, friends, early stage uh, <laughs> investors, regional funds. Uh, that's not always the, the preferred shareholder structure if you're in a later, later development stage. So we kept it as clean as possible with really good funds. Again, uh, established ahead mm -hmm. of time. Um, and for instance, when we did the acquisition, we, we paid in cash uh, because we, we want to keep the, the shareholder base as clean the as possible. Yeah. I think that's, that's, often overlooked also because the type of professionals that start a company do not necessarily have the, the experience of having been in an M&A or an IPO process previously. Uh, luckily, we have, so uh, we know what to avoid, and I think that helps, uh, helps for us now. Uh, that, that makes sense. But indeed, you have, you're in the position where you have some of that know-how and, and experience in-house now. Um, would you, for, to a company going through something like that for the first time, uh, who maybe doesn't have a trusted advisor uh, or doesn't know sort of where to start, what would be your number one recommendation to them? Well, similar to what Claudine has done, basically. You find the right trusted uh, external counsel, which mm -hmm. was Ellen and Overy in this case. Uh, you find the, the right uh, mentors that have been in that position before. It doesn't necessarily need to be the top, the top stars that build billion-dollar companies, but also uh, people uh, closer, uh, closer to the company that actually have been through that process before. I think that's uh, very important. And obviously be open, be curious, and don't, uh, yeah, don't try to do things yourself. Ask for help because what mm -hmm. I think what you have experienced, Claudine, every single person that you have 
contacted have yes. been able to really help you out. Um, and I think that's advice. that's a major driver yeah. of, of your current success. Yes, definitely. And I, I would like to add, so what I've learned, I, one of the advice was at the beginning, because uh, I raised a first round from private investors and what Tim mentioned, right? You don't want to have a cap table with uh, thousands of people. So uh, I got the advice to set up a stock, mm-hmm. a Stichting Administratiekantoor. Yeah. I don't know the word in English again. Yeah, it's a Dutch law foundation. Ah, is, yes. Is, I think the the translation, yeah. <laughs> Do you also have that in Belgium? We have similar structures, ah, okay. yeah. But we also use the Dutch one, actually, sometimes, ah. yeah. <laughs> and that really, uh, I think that was really an important advice uh, because eventually, right, the new investors in future or uh, the acquirer doesn't uh, want an uh, entire group of investors. Um. And maybe picking in on that point, because... As, as, as you mentioned before, Tim is working for a Belgian-based um, life sciences company while you're working for a Dutch-based life sciences company. Comparing and contrasting the what we call the vibrant life, life sciences biotech scene in Belgium and the Netherlands, what, what lessons do you have or what challenges did you see and, and where, where can we potentially build some more bridges in between um, Belgian and, and Netherlands uh, ecosystems? I think from my experience is that, uh, uh, well, the financing part is really interesting because, um, well, I learned from Pete, Pete Wiefing, my co-founder, that he said, okay, it might be interesting, right, to become a Belgian company because there uh, the investment climate for a company at our stage uh, could be very interesting because there are quite some grants uh, from the government so really intensive R&D uh, grants. And I think uh, the Netherlands could have more of that. So not only have the investments from uh, in a later stage, because I think in the Netherlands, well, I think there are quite some possibilities for that, but uh, primarily also from the beginning, so that you have the entire chain, so from begin to end, uh, that could be financed in life sciences. So I think that we can learn from uh, the Belgian part. And what I've learned, uh, I got an overview, is that also that in Belgium, that there's a really good collaboration between the technical universities and uh, also the academic centers. Uh, that's also that uh, that we can work on that, on these success factors. That's maybe something you can speak to as well, Tim? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last week I was in the US and I think that kindly reminded me again that Belgium and the Netherlands are, of course, Mickey Mouse uh, region still, uh, but actually want to do the same. So we sent separate trade missions to Boston and, and the US telling them that we actually we, either the Netherlands or Belgium, want to become the Boston in Europe. Uh, I think what we should do is to actually uh, team up. Uh, I fully agree with Claudine's uh, assessment. I think there's really good early stage grants in Belgium uh, provided by Flyo, which in my opinion, are much, much better than the innovation credit in the Netherlands. On the other hand, the Netherlands has some some really good things as well. I think the the Dutch law is typically much easier and better uh, than Belgium law, for instance. I think if we want to provide uh, employee grants or warrants uh, to an international (laughs) team, that's close to impossible. Uh, So there's, uh, there's pros and cons to both countries. I would say let's take the best out of both regions and then try to combine that. Uh, the, the Belgian subsidy regime and then the Dutch stack uh, for, for, for instance, governance yes. purposes. <laughs> for instance, I think 
both countries have a, a tremendous pool of talent. We've got great universities and uh, amazing science. I think um, uh, it's all there. Uh, but it's bo- bo- on both sides of the boundary, it's really small still. So if you combine that, you can actually use the skill to really be- build a, a competing region, uh, even competing to the US, I would say, uh, over time. Um, so instead of competing with each other, why don't we just try to team up? I think we got an amazing uh, Vlaanders bio with a new Wouter, a new CEO. We got an amazing Holland bio with Annemiek and Wieteke also leading their teams really in the right way forward, uh, collaborating with the government. So I think the will and the ambition is really there. Let's try to really team up and, and build something uh, on skill. All right. So more collaboration between Belgium and the Netherlands. Maybe to conclude this session, um, Tim, what, what, um, any words of advice, uh, final words of wisdom um, for biotech uh, in Belgium or the Netherlands? Words of wisdom, I don't know. I think it's important to, to reiterate why we're all doing this, why we get up in the morning. And I think... Uh, For that, it's all the same for us. We really try to develop uh, curative medicine for patients. Uh, that's why we're in this business. That's why we're not selling cars or doing anything else. It's trying to develop treatment for for patients in high ambulance medical need. That's first. Secondly, I really hope and feel we can do much better in building bigger companies uh, and really create the ecosystem that is so much needed, uh, not just for the current generation, but also for the future generation. And by combining the Netherlands and Belgium and helping female leaders to also get the attention from investors. I think we can do so much more. Um, there's great organizations like Topix. There's great patient organizations. There's many very good investors in our ecosystem. I think collectively we can do so much more. That's why I'm actually here today as well, to actually hope that I can also do a little bit of help in that, that overall uh, aim and goal. All right. And then, Claudine, what, what's next for you? What can we wish you? Well, I'm continuing uh, as part uh, of the company that acquired us. For me, I think it is an important wish that we get this treatment uh, to the patient, uh, mm-hmm. to the continental hyperinsulinism population. And I hope, of course, that a lot uh, of investments will go to rare diseases. Eventually also, of course, we were talking about in the beginning uh, that there are more female biotech leaders in the Netherlands and in Belgium. So uh, that eventually uh, I can invite a man to this table. (laughs) That's a very nice closing remark. (laughs) Thank you both so much, Tim Claudine, for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you.